and his sisters were grieving, human tragedy is occurring all the time. And people of all cultures, all backgrounds, all ages, all religions have to learn to cope with this cycle of life and death. If only life can continue forever and we can live with everyone forever, all the family, all the friends, such is the desire of every human being. There are people who have lost loved ones. A particular member in the family may not be the mother or father necessarily, maybe an uncle, maybe a cousin, it may be a brother. But they're so endeared to that person because of the character and the nature of that individual who really cared. Now there's a loss. There's a vacuum. And people are told to get over it because we have to go on. And very soon we can get distracted. But we know that there's so many different ends coming. God is there to help us not only cope with it, but to get hope. It is actually possible that which is impossible in the eyes of man. God says as he raised Lazarus from the dead, it was a foreshadow of what he will do for every single one who puts his or her trust in him. Because Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Not resuscitation from dying, but resurrection from death altogether. And that's why the Lord said, uh, if a man believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And the one who lives and dies believing in me will live forever. He'll never die again. Such words were not just poetic expression to soothe and calm people in their problems. But God makes a promise it is actually as good as done because he is faithful. Let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 12. This is the fourth gospel. Gospel means good news. So the gospel of Jesus Christ means the good news. That Jesus came and died on the cross to save us from our sins. Not only give us a better quality of life, but eternal life. Something that no one else can promise. Of a truth. And keep it. John chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover. Jesus came to Bethany. We look on the map, it's still there today, 2,000 years later. Very close proximity to Jerusalem, this little town of Bethany, where Lazarus, who was dead, or who had been dead, he was there, whom he had raised from the dead. Then six days before this major Jewish festival, this feast, that is celebrated even to this day, and it's wonderful how God brings this Passover festival or feast, which actually was instituted 
1500 years before Christ came humanly during the time of Moses when they were in bondage and the instruction from God through Moses to the Israelites was there's an angel of death that's going to go through Egypt where you're held in slavery that angel of death is going to kill the firstborn of every one of your enemies but I want you to take a lamb at a particular day inspect that lamb it should have no blemish because it is going to be a sacrifice unto the Lord and I want you to take the blood of that innocent lamb and I want you to smear it on your doorposts now on the top of the door frame when the angel of death comes through the camp on that memorable night when he sees the blood on the doorposts of the families who have been instructed by the Lord to do that he will pass over that house there will be no death there such a profound mention during the life of Jesus especially since this was around the time that he raised Lazarus from the dead Jesus blood that would be shed on the cross not too long from this point of the story is the blood that causes eternal death to pass over us we escape through the blood of Jesus Christ he is called the Pascal Lamb he is known as the Passover Lamb that lamb and those lambs that were killed on that Passover night now it's 3500 years ago around the time of Jesus from that point it was 1500 years BC roughly those lambs were a foreshadow and not just symbolically but an actual foreshadow of what the Lamb of God Jesus Christ was going to do on the cross for us so we can live forever with him the world is full of darkness and death it seems that every pleasure that mankind can put his hand to keeps corrupting everything the person gets a brand new vehicle and it can have the latest bells and whistles it can be the car of the year could spend a small fortune on it or a big fortune depending upon who it is but eventually it rusts eventually it stops a person can travel the world and explore cultures but how much can you explore before you get tired of it how many different kinds of foods can you try before your belly is filled to the limit no matter how appetizing it may be you have no capacity left to enjoy it the preacher King Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes there's nothing new under the sun and everything that I try it's all vanity it comes to nothing in the end that's why you have movie stars 
one of them who lived to be, I believe, a 103, famous Hollywood movie star, as they called him. He lived so long and had so much money, and he said at the end of his life, what good is all the money that I have? He's got millions and millions and millions. You know what he said about 103 years old? He said, you can't enjoy it. I'm not able to enjoy it. Too frail. He can't jump on a plane and go anywhere he wants. Can't even get in the car anymore. Oh, my. What a tragedy to have everything you can possibly enjoy in front of you and have no capacity to enjoy it. Is this what it comes down to? That's the sad reality of people without Jesus Christ. But when we have the Lord, we're able to live life to the full, even through suffering and darkness. His light shines brightly because we have not only a moral compass by which to live our lives so that we can do things right in the sight of God, but there's a relationship with Jesus who conquered death on the cross. And through him, we can transcend death and live forever with him. For real. Not just imagination. That quality of life is what Jesus gave to Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, that he died, he would die again physically, but never eternally, spiritually something that takes us deep into the scriptures and in dialogue with the only one who knows everything, the living God, by first coming to the cross where Jesus died, rendering ourselves and saying, Lord, the best of the best of mankind. I read this in the Psalms, in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, penned by the premier Jewish king, David, a historical figure, and he said, men of high degree and men of low degree. If you weigh them together on a balance, they are lighter than vanity. That is a true saying. No matter what a man or woman acquires, what pleasure they have derived, at the end it seems to be a big lie. Empty. It's tragic, it's darkness, it's fear, but not for the one who has Jesus on the throne of his heart or her heart. Because he gives real meaning, real purpose, real pleasure in his presence. Go back to John chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. The man who is dead is sitting at the table with the one who raised him from the dead. How beautiful. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. She was worshipping him. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, the infamous Judas, 
Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii? unit of measurement of their money at that time and given to the poor we could have we could have sold this thing and got so much money and gotten so much money we could have given to the poor verse 6 this he said not that he cared for the poor his motives were devious but because he was a thief and had the money box or the money bag he was the treasurer for Jesus and his party. And this man was used to putting his filthy hands into the treasury of the Lord and helping himself to death routinely. Stealing from God means death. Have we ever stolen the glory that belongs to God only? By saying, I did it. I'm a self-made man or self-made woman. I went to school and I got the degree and I applied for the job and I showed my skills and they loved me and I am where I am because of me. And for those who are not where I am, too bad for them. They're not so smart. How many people are there in the world, and perhaps we were one of them or are among them today, who have great confidence in ourselves to glorify ourselves and not the living God who gave us everything we have, including our very breath. But when we're humble before the Almighty God, He can do something great in and through us and for us. This man was blinded by greed. Satan was his master. Though he paraded around as if Jesus was his master, everything that the Lord stood for, Judas was the opposite. He became that. Because he opened the door to the devil who made his eyes big and wide when he saw money. Dollar bills made his heart race. That was his passion. And so he would end up dying after betraying the Lord and going to hell. What a tragedy. But this man pretended that he really loved the Lord and he wanted to show that he's very religious, but he knew if that income comes into this bag that I'm carrying on behalf of the Lord and his disciples, I'm going to get a good share of it. But Jesus said, now the Lord knew everything that was going on, nothing was hidden from him, but he was so patient, so loving, and so... He has been with all of us. All the times that we stole the glory from God, God knew exactly what we were doing. All the time we pretended that we are in control and not God. God has seen that. He hears. He hates flattery. Jesus was... uh, There was an attempt to flatter him with a kiss when Judas came to betray him. And the Lord looked at him and said, Friend, do you betray me with the kiss? God knew exactly what was in his heart. One day we will stand before the living God and he will expose everything. But there's a way out now. Thank God. 
Some people go to traffic court and their hearts are beating fast because of the atmosphere. It's just for a violation of the motor vehicle law, but to go there before a judge can produce fear. To see everyone sitting there patiently waiting for your honor, and then when he comes, everybody rises. There's a sense of respect, a sense of dread also, with the potential of a decision that can cost them a lot. But what will happen when we go to the divine court one day after this life is over and not traffic violations, but every moral violation will be brought up. Every blasphemy will be brought up. Every defiance of God's holiness and His nature, His commandments will be brought up. Everything. There will be no escape. The terror that accompanies that court appearance cannot be equal to anything, no matter what one has done in the human court. But there's a way out. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. There's a way out. All we have to do is say, Lord, I've been living as if you don't exist. I've been living as if I don't need to obey you. I've been living void of your love. Come to me, Lord. I want you. Come into my heart, Lord. I understand that no one died on the cross. No one, no one in any religion has ever said and predicted and prophesied that he would come down from heaven, become a human being, God the Son becoming a human being, and go to the cross expressly for one singular purpose. Not to show that he's a hero, but because he was a real hero, to show how much he loved us to save us from eternal death. He died and made payment for my sins and your sins with His holy, blameless blood so that we can have a relationship with God forever. This Jesus offered salvation to this Judas, but this Judas not only took Jesus for granted, he actually thought that Jesus didn't know anything, that he knew more than God. We know the expression, the taller they are, the harder they fall. It speaks of one who's obsessed with his own ego, her own pride. And the devil says, go on, build yourself up. Build yourself up. Then the crash comes. But the one who's humble, God said, I will build that person up. And they will never crash. This man was full of pride and greed. The Lord didn't address him at this point directly pertaining to his sin, but he exposed the lie that this man spoke. Because essentially he was saying this woman is useless, is ignorant, and she really doesn't care about the Lord or the poor or anyone. I need to school her. And I want to make a statement in front of everyone that if I had that spikenard, this costly ointment, I would have made a great investment. But Jesus said, we're in John chapter 12, verse 7, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. The Lord 
that she knows exactly what she's doing and so do I. And he didn't stop there. He said, for the poor you have with you always. Did Jesus care for the poor? There's no one who cared for the poor more than the Lord Jesus. But he said, you cannot ignore or devalue my presence and who I am and the honor that's due to me by deflecting it to mortals no matter what their status the Bible says when we honor the Lord as we should he will not only bless us he will bless others through us he will take care of everything but we need to know who has to be first in our lives that's why humanistic endeavors humanitarian efforts without the Lord Jesus directing those efforts will amount to death in the end. How so? Because no matter what kind of liberation we can bring to individuals in various predicaments and dilemmas and oppression, eventually they'll die and there is only one of two places they can end up in eternity, heaven or hell. That's the Lord's revelation. It's his verdict. Humanity is on one of two courses. There are only two roads and they never converge. The road that is broad, that leads to death, where most of the world is going, going on their merry way, apart from the blood of Jesus washing their hearts clean. And the other road that is a narrow way, but it re- leads straight to life. It's a road of righteousness where we have come to the end of ourselves, thankfully, before we've come to the end of our lives. Where we have changed course from the broad way that leads to destruction to the narrow way which is full of holiness, righteousness, humility, Obedience to the living God. Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. God says, I'm here right now. You're trying to prevent that woman from worshipping me? Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. Now these are Jesus' own native fellow countrymen. They found out he's over there having supper. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but they, that they might see, that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Jesus was an attraction. Why? Because he had power and compassion. He not only came to demonstrate his power as Lord of all nature over everything, but he had such a compassion that was unique because he crossed boundaries continuously. He showed such dignity to women 
in an age and culture in the ancient world where they were casually treated as property and second-class citizens, if that much. But the Lord empowered them because he said, in the beginning, God created male and female. He gave dignity to mankind, the human race, both men and women. And he received worship and he loved both men and women. He loved everyone. And he would not allow people to set class distinctions based on race or gender or socioeconomic status. All of the evils that man has done and continues to do. Oppressing one another. God can't stand it. He came to show what real love is. What real living is. He crossed the boundary to reach criminals. Even on the cross. When the criminal on the one hand said, Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. The Lord said, truly, this day you will be with me in paradise. He forgave him instantly. Mankind is used to holding back forgiveness. Does that sound familiar? Until someone pays up. God says, I have paid for you. And that love transforms a human being at the very core. God so loved me, I have to show love to others. He forgave me such a huge debt when I ignored him, when I disobeyed him, when I was a rebel, when I abused all that he gave me. I cursed him. He forgave me so much. I must forgive others without setting boundaries, without setting markers and payment plans before I could even consider looking at them. No more of that arrogance because I know now that God loved me, forgave me for my arrogance. He expects me to do the same for others. Otherwise, he will come and question me I can end up back in prison. They came to see Jesus, this man who was a miracle worker, and for those who had a more intimate revelation, the son of the living God, the one who can stop the forces of nature in the midst of a deadly storm, instantly stop it and restore peace and calm. The man who labored from early morning all the way into the night to deliver people who are possessed with devils, lunatic, sick of palsy and paralysis, all kinds of skin diseases. He showed compassion and healed them all. They came to see him. But this time, they also came to see the man that was dead for four days, whom he raised from the very grave. But not every Jew was thrilled to see Jesus and Lazarus. 
John chapter 12, verse 10, but the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. How insane. The man who is not a lawbreaker, who is a faithful Jew, the man who is dead and the bereavement set in to his sisters and the whole crowd of people who are mourning and wailing, four days after the death, comes out with his grave clothing, alive. They want to kill that man. It says, the devil possessing these religious leaders. They wanted to put Jesus to death because they couldn't stand the miracles and the following that he garnered. Because they were jealous. They were also thieves. They wanted the people's praise and glory and their money. They didn't want to go to God. And they pretended to be spiritual people when they were corrupt. And the Lord would have, would have words with them and expose that. And they hated it. Now they wanted to kill the innocent man who was dead. To the worst of human nature. But it's a reality that people will kill people with a smile. Where? In hospitals. The people who have taken the famous Hippocratic oaths. The people who have vowed to stand up for the dignity of human life and to have compassion and heal wounds and hearts with a smile and the stroke of a pen. Can destroy human life. For what reason? Many times due to ego. They've already given their expert advice and now there's a challenge and they have to follow through to show they were right, even if they were wrong. And conveniently arrange things so that death occurs. With a simple phone call, say, I'm sorry, but uh, this is what happened medically. On that day in the divine court, God will call Dr. M.D. Murderous devil to justice. Thankfully, there are a great deal of compassionate physicians and nurses. But this monstrous, hideous human nature can pop up anywhere. It can pop up at the store. It can pop up in school. It can pop up in the government. And the tragedy is that lives get extinguished. Innocent lives. Suffering is inflicted. Horrible suffering. This is why technology, as fascinating as it may be, Communication, 
as instant as it has become. Pleasure as widely as it is available today. Only serves as masks to hide the monster of life without God. It's only a matter of time that these expressions come out. This is why many times in the neighborhood when they're interviewed after some horrific crime has occurred, they say, but I always thought that person was a good person. Always smiled at me, was so polite, so helpful. I saw the person walking the dog the other day, mowing the lawn and carrying groceries for the older people. Him? Her? It's shocking. Not to God. Just like Judas. The monster was within all the while. But God has the remedy through the blood of Jesus Christ. These people were so evil that they wanted to put the man to death who was raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. They were jealous. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the king of Israel. The next day a multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, which means, oh praise, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found the young donkey, notice he didn't come on a fancy white horse, even though he was a king, he chose a young, lowly service animal, a donkey, sat on it, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, Zion standing for Israel or Jerusalem, the people of God. Don't be afraid. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. It was prophesied way back in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah and Zechariah. Centuries before, your king is coming to the royal city, the holy city, Jerusalem. He's going to not come on a horse with a lot of pomp and stance, but he's going to come humbly, meek and lowly. Exactly what Jesus did. He was the Messiah. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Another proof for the divine nature of the Bible, unlike any other book. There are prophecies recorded, hundreds of them, the majority of which have been meticulously fulfilled to the very details. One need only look at it, investigate with a sincere heart, with integrity. We cannot come away but by conceding, agreeing that this is something out of the ordinary.
this book, the Bible. The closer we get to God by reading the Bible and praying, Jesus will come and meet with us. We transform forever. Therefore, the people who are with him, we're in John 12, verse 17, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. He said, this is the one. This is the one that raised the dead the other day. He raised Lazarus in this small community. We can't mistake Lazarus for anyone else. That's the man. Those are his sisters. This is the man that raised that man from the dead. He was dead four days. Were you there? Yes, I saw him. He said, this is him. For this reason, the people also met him. Because they heard that he had done this sign. So you have crowds praising Jesus. But the religious people who are supposed to be the first ones to praise him, they were gnashing their teeth. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. The Pharisees, therefore, these doctors of the religious law, said among themselves, telling each other, you see, you're not doing anything. You're not accomplishing anything. Look, the world has gone after him. This is so disgusting. More people are believing in this Jesus. What's wrong with that? What did he do? Did he start a riot? Did he oppress anyone? Well, he healed people. He loved people. He rescued people. He dignified people. And he gave eternal life to people. Did he do anything wrong? Why the hatred toward Jesus? There's a diabolical force. There's a devil who hates God and humanity, who God made in his image. And it comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He has entered into these people. Who would hate a person who genuinely loves people, heals people, restores their lives, sacrifices for them? Who would hate such a person? Who's so loving and so holy and so powerful? Only the devil. These religious people who are in charge of the temple, many of them, or work there. Alas, they were the ones who were serving the devil and wanted Jesus dead. Now, there were certain Greeks since the time of Alexander the Great, about three centuries before Jesus came, historical figure, the Greek language became very popular. That's why the New Testament was written in Greek. God knows what he was doing. So more people can know who he is. Now, there were certain Greeks, typically, they didn't believe in God. They had mythology. And they loved to live for uh, so-called wisdom, Socrates, and people like that. But they came to this feast. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee. It's a very specific geographical location. The Bible is replete with them. To show how it is a valid trustworthy historical document because people have researched the places they found them exactly as the Bible described them 
No other work in antiquity in ancient times could ever compare. to the reliability of the Bible. Philip was from this place called Bethsaida of Galilee, in northern Israel, and asked him, saying, they came to Philip. They knew he was part of the disciples. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It's not a time for any private interview. I'm on a course. I'm on a mission. I'm about to be crucified for the salvation of the world. Everyone is welcome to know me and to receive the eternal benefit. But the Lord doesn't cater to curiosity. He caters to the conscience that is ready to receive the life that he's willing to offer. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world, not talking about self-hate, but is talking in comparison with eternal life and living for God. He who loves his life will lose it. Life in this world with all the pleasures and all of the vanity, all of the ego and all of the showing off and all of the despising others and bigotry and racism and prejudice. The people who try to build their own empire, their own castle, and feel better than other people, that they're better. Once they tear that false world down and say, Lord, I surrender to you, I want the real life. The people who hate that kind of life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. So essentially, the Lord kept his eyes on the program of God, his mission. And he made sure his disciples didn't get distracted either. He was not one to be flattered. He didn't seek the honor that comes from men. But he's God Almighty. He wanted to please his Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, one God, three distinct divine personalities, but one God. Incomprehensible to human logic, but nonetheless true. Just as someone, just a few centuries before, would have scoffed and thought people mad who would say that one day we can actually go to the moon. And people who say, I'm breathing air even though I can't see it. People who have no knowledge about it would say they're mad. What air? We don't see anything. 
Well, how do you breed then? And how is the world flat and all superstitions? And But the truth is often stranger than fiction, as they say. But we have the privilege of knowing the one who gives the truth himself is true. He only speaks the truth. And our capacity to receive revelation will commence and expand once we surrender the knee and the heart to the one who owns everything. The Lord kept his eyes on the mission because he came to save us from our sins. He was so loving. He didn't think about himself. He thought about me. He thought about you. And he's teaching his disciples by every demonstration of truth. This is what love looks like. Like that kernel of wheat or grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies. My death will produce life millions of people. And if you follow me because you serve me where I am you'll be also. And if you serve me my Father will honor you. Hallelujah. What a profound promise from God. We never need to feel like an orphan. We never need to feel like we're no one, nobody. We never need to feel fear for the future because our Heavenly Father knows what we need and he provides always faithfully even before we ask him. And if we can trust him with our eternity, we can trust him with everything right now in our situations. When God takes the veil from our eyes, we're able to see that real living means true humility, true faith, true love, true obedience to the God who made us and died for us, who is alive forevermore. And he says, because I live, you will live also. People don't need to worry about longevity on this side of eternity because if we focus on eternity, truly, walking with Jesus Christ every day, talking with the Lord every day, reading His Word, His communication that gives life every day, then God will take care of longevity on this side of heaven. And He will give us an infinite longevity on the other side. That's His promise. If God has prophesied so many prophecies, way back from Genesis. And all the prophecies that were supposed to be fulfilled in their time have been fulfilled. The ones that are yet to be fulfilled are in queue for the fulfillment. We can know that whatever we're facing today, Jesus is able 
to not only handle it for us, but to help us because He loves us, to encourage us and strengthen us to be victorious. Oh, we've come this far by faith, trusting in His Word, trusting in His Holy Word. We've come this far by faith. Oh, 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 can't turn around. I've come this far by faith. Faith in who? Faith in what? In Jesus Christ, who's on the throne right now in heaven and also on the hearts of every single person who trusts in him. And he promises life and that more abundantly, real life, that will help us to navigate the valleys and take us to the mountaintop. Far better than any human philosophy, any man-made creed, any cultural ritual, any religious rite, any human effort, is God's revelation that He loves us He will perfect everything that concerns us because He loves us. And He's all-powerful to be with us, to take us to our destiny, which is full of glory and joy unspeakable. Shall we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God who delivers us from death. God who delivers us from darkness. Thank you, Lord. Bring our help today. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us everything we need to walk with you victoriously. Thank you, Lord. You help us deal with problems that are outside of us and problems that are within us. You come, Lord, and you speak to us one word. One word through prophecy, through revelation, through instruction through the teaching from the Holy Scriptures and everything is laid bare in all of the sore spots. Sore spots, they stand out ready to be healed by you. Every deviation from your path, every call from the devil to take us away from you is exposed. You're there to help us to recover our senses that we can keep our eyes upon you, Lord. Keep tasting of your goodness and prosper continually. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But our lives consist in receiving your eternal bread your manna gives us life the entrance of your word gives us light gives us light thank you Lord 